I often hear people say that information is hidden from them, that the government does things in secrecy or in the cloak of night. Now, unless your skunk works or a dark budget part of the Pentagon, everything is hidden in plain view. You just have to know where to look. And so as there are new trusted voices that become out there for people to listen to, it's important to go back in the history and see what the government has to offer. Today, there's something from the ReaganLibrary.gov page from July 17th, 1986, that I think you're going to find very interesting. So sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden. You don't know what they sacrificed. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, Bold Americans. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden. That's me, your host. And if you're listening to this episode, you might notice this one is not on the America Out Loud Network. Now, for the next week and a half, I'll be offering free premium content to give you a hint of what you can expect should you be a subscriber on my Patreon page. So you're going to get some additional content on Tuesday and Thursday of this week, as well as over the weekend and maybe some video content, too. You're going to have to go over to Patreon.com backslash America Emboldened in order to register. You can sign up for free content as well as you can go ahead and you can subscribe to the show as well. But this show will not be found on any network. It is only available to you, the subscribers. All right. So I teased at the very beginning, July 17th, 1986, in the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library and Museum, there is a very important document. Now, why do I believe that this is an important document? Well, I believe that there's a such thing as controlled opposition, controlled narrative in the media. And it's important to understand when you have somebody who's acting as an actual journalist and somebody who's not acting in your best interest. And I'm going to break down what this text says and why it matters to you. For some people, you may not be happy that I'm going here, but I can tell you, if you're now subscribing to the show on the Patreon page, this is the type of in-depth analysis that I plan on giving in the show. I'm taking the filters off. I'm not going to worry about what people at the network might think about me going after uh, beloved figures if I know that the truth is the most important thing to bring to you. So this is not about, you know, placating to anybody outside of just trying to give you the unfiltered, unbridled uh, truth straightforward. All right, let's get straight into it. On July 17, 1986, the text says in the Presidential Library, the president today announced his intention to nominate Richard W. Carlson to be an associate director of the United States Information Agency Broadcasting. He would succeed Ernest Eugene Pell. Since March 1986, Mr. Carlson has been serving as the acting associate director for broadcasting. And at the same time, he has served as the director of public liaison since December 1985. Previously, he was the senior vice president of the Great American Bank from 1977 to 1983. And after his resignation, he maintained his position with the company as the chief spokesman 
in radio and television advertising and as a media consultant. During his career in broadcasting, which has spanned a 14-year period from 1966 to 1980, he has worked as a reporter and anchorman in various California stations. Mr. Carlson has won various awards in the broadcasting field, including the George Foster Peabody Award for Meritous Service to Broadcasting in May 1976. Mr. Carlson attended the University of Mississippi. Mr. Carlson is married, has three children, and currently resides in Washington, D.C. He was born on February 10, 1941, in Boston, Massachusetts. Again, this is dated July 17, 1986. Well, Richard W. Carlson, who is he? Well, Richard W. Carlson is better known as Dick Carlson. Dick Carlson was known as a journalist for many years, uh, somebody who was very innovative in journalism, uh, but he was also tied to the intelligence community. And he had three sons, one of which is a beloved figure by many people that might listen to my show. That's Tucker Carlson. Now, let's get to understand a little bit about Dick Carlson and how he got to where he is, so that way we can move over to Tucker Carlson and whether or not he is also part of an intelligence agency. The first thing you need to know is how did Dick Carlson get involved in journalism? You got to go way back to when he was 22 years old. All right, so we're going back into the 1960s. And he started his job as a copy boy for the Los Angeles Times, where he met his friend Carl Lance Brisson. And he continued on doing reporting for the United Press International. But two years after meeting Brisson, they went out to San Francisco to try to establish themselves, working as freelance independent television reporters. And they would produce news features to sell for the local and national distribution, making just under $100 per week before they were eventually hired full-time by KGO-TV in San Francisco. Now, who was his friend, Carl Lance Brisson? Well, the son of actress Rosaline Russell. So there's a Hollywood connection as to why they were being able to uh, get their foot in the door in many places. Now, Carlson and Brisson also became known in 1969 for their article in Look, in which they had Mayor Joseph Alioda linked to an organized crime scheme in which he would have a 12 million libel lawsuit against the magazine. And so there were multiple jury trials about this libel. And during a fourth trial without a jury, they found the plaintiff had sustained the burden of providing evidence that the defendant published defamatory statements. Now, this will not be the only time the Carlson family is brought the courts over defamatory statements. Uh, but anyway, whether reckless or not, the entitlement to judgment was $350,000 against the magazine for which Carlson and Brisson worked and their work. And the legal cost helped take down the magazine of Look. And so because of these legal issues, Carlson and Brisson uh, would go on to need to find new work. Now, Carlson stood by his story the entire time, and he claimed that the sources refused to testify or they died in this organized crime ring. This would lead him into investigative journalism. So by 1971, in Los Angeles, he was winning awards, Peabody Awards, about car promotion fraud. In 1975, he moved out to San Diego, and he walked away 
from that job after 18 months, saying that it was a stupid, superficial type of job, a lot of arrogance and hypocrisy. And he felt that he was becoming part of that hypocrisy by saying that he did a uh, piece on an outed local tennis player, Dr. Renee Richards, who was a transgender woman. He also uh, targeted uh, Elizabeth Carmichael and outed her as a transgender con artist as well. And so you can find out more about that story in the HBO Max, The Lady and the Dale. And then there's an interesting thing here that happens. In 1977, Carlson joined the San Diego Federal Savings and Loan, which later becomes what I said earlier, Great Americans First Savings, and uh, became its public affairs director. He became a uh, <laughs> vice president of finance there. Can you explain to me how a gentleman who is caught up in news winning Peabody Awards all of a sudden becomes a cabinet member for a close friend of Ronald Reagan's and three years later becomes the director or vice president of finance there? And so they were a very uh, controversial bank. Uh, they had lots of negative uh, press. Uh, an advisor tied to Ronald Reagan with delinquencies on mortgages. And so as a result, that came under file. And by 1981, 60 Minutes, Mike Wallace had an interview about Carlson, about home foreclosures that were executed at the bank. And Carlson ended up hiring his own camera crew to tape that interview uh, in order to try to catch Wallace making comments that he could attack back to take the heat off him. And he was able to find Wallace making racial jokes about black people and Hispanics. And so Wallace eventually had to apologize and Carlson ended up leaving the bank to go into politics. And that's going to lead him into his mayoral campaign in order to try to uh, become the mayor. Uh, sought the appointment of the San Diego County Board of Supervisors as well. Uh, came under more scrutiny uh, for the ties to the White House that he had through Great Americans First Savings Bank and what that was mired in. And then eventually, Carlson, after losing that election, would become a voice of America. In 1986, that's when President Reagan announced that he had an intention to nominate him in the United States Information Agency. So how is it that Carlson becomes the director of Voice of America through Ronald Reagan after having Hollywood ties through the 60s, working in media, all of a sudden he becomes a vice president of finances, and then he becomes working in the intelligence agency. Dick Carlson's able to do this. The Voice of America was all about trying to put out propaganda to offer a non-military external broadcasting in Cuba and beyond. And they were at one point just trying to overthrow, as I said earlier, Fidel Castro. And then later after that, he becomes the CEO of Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which was a private corporation funded by listeners like you, if you know where that's going. Uh, and he started aligning with the Republican Party and working with them on how public broadcasting could be uh, eliminated of liberal bias. Um, looking forward to try to privatize that system. So let me get this straight. 
the guy who is in with the intelligence community in the 1980s, 1986 through the 1990s, Ronald Reagan appoints him. He then becomes CEO of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which is a private corporation, much like we've had private organizations working alongside our intelligence agencies and or the censor voices on Twitter. And from there, he figures out how to try to handle what he condemned as misguided and ridiculous of liberal bias media. Sound familiar? Well, this was 1992. No, this was not 2012. This is 20 years before you would hear of any of that. So Dick Carlson, you know, was using his same games that he used in Cuba in the United States. And so at that same time in the 1990s, what's happening? Well, in March 1992, when he becomes the CEO, that's also the exact same time, enter Tucker Carlson into the fray. Why does he enter into the fray? Because that's when we have on the Tulsi Gabbard show, him admitting that he applied for the CIA, but they rejected him. And so his father said, go in the journalism instead. Are you connecting the dots with me today at all, ladies and gentlemen? Bold Americans, are you seeing that Dick Carlson has been not a media conglomerate? He's been part of the intelligence agency for five decades. And just as he becomes CEO, his son is coming out of college trying to get into the CIA. And what does Dick Carlson tell his son? Oh, come over to the media. Come over to the media where I'm trying to eliminate all type of liberal bias. Now, that sounds really good to somebody who's libertarian and somebody who is a conservative to get rid of liberal bias. I'm, I'm here for getting rid of all bias, not just liberal bias. Let's get rid of conservative bias. Let's call bias what it is. It can be misinformation to individuals when it is weaponized against them when it becomes propagandized. And Dick Carlson knows all about how to use propaganda against individuals. He was trained in this and became a director just for it. Now, why do I know that Dick is also intimately close to Tucker and his other sons? Well, all you have to do is go back through his history. And in 1976, Carlson and his wife Lombardi divorced. And Dick got custody of Tucker and Buckley. Tucker went on to say in a biography that when his mother left the family when he was six, he wanted to pursue some type of bohemian lifestyle. But in 1979, Dick got married again to Patricia Caroline Swanson, a heiress to the Swanson frozen food fortune. And Carlson began to send his sons off to boarding school to find schooling for them, to self-discipline them to a degree that they could find some type of satisfaction. And so he did not send them back off. They did not have communication with their estranged mother after that point in time. They had a stepmother, and the stepmother was not that involved in their life the way that a mom would be. And so Dick took it upon himself to oversee Tucker and his life to try to provide the best that he could. And so I believe that Dick Carlson would want Tucker to follow in his footsteps because you would trust no one more than your own son when you're setting him up with a career. And so Carlson's media career 
Now we're going to move the Tucker a little bit. Now that we've, we've established that Dick Carlson has strong ties to the government, strong ties to a bias in trying to bring propaganda to people in this type of journalism that Hunter S. Thompson has already deemed to be not without any type of objective fact that is could be defaming at times. We're going to see how Tucker has just completely followed in his father's footsteps almost the entire way right he has those ties just as his father had to hollywood he has his ties to some of the biggest names he has his ties to the intelligence community and he certainly practices gonzo journalism now hunter s thompson wrote in rolling stone magazine many years ago if i'd written the truth about 600 people including me we would be rotten in prison cells. Absolute truth is very rare and dangerous commodity in the context of professional journalism. And so he was writing about uh, why Tucker had so much charm. He just said things that was on his mind. It was oftentimes with subjectivity, not with objectivity. And it was gonzo journalism. Eventually, that would get Tucker into some hot mess at Fox. And we'll get there a little bit later in the story about Tucker. So let's start here before we even go into the past. Some people are going to think that this is a hit piece on Tucker Carlson. It's not. Anytime that I do these type of exposés, my goal is not to discredit Tucker Carlson or whoever else that I'm speaking about. It's to make sure that you, a listening audience, have the most information available to you to make the best decision for yourself about what you want to give credence to and to understand that you yourself might be getting manipulated. I believe that Tucker is intimately tied to the intelligence community through his father. You can simply look at his father's history and he has not left that community the entire time. And I believe that Tucker has followed in his footsteps, which is why when we get to his early connections, you've got to wonder, how did he get the interview with George W. Bush? Well, that's right. Ronald Reagan, the George Bush, the George W. Bush. Tucker Carlson had a silver spoon fed to him in order to get where he was going. How do I know he had that silver spoon? Well, it's very simple. One just has to figure out some of the different boarding schools where he was able to attend. Now, he says he was kicked out of some of them, and then he would just wind up going to another boarding school. I think one of my favorite parts is the headmaster. Uh, Susan Andrews was the headmaster's daughter. He would later go on to marry her. Uh, So Tucker also had a bit of an in with people writing him letters of recommendation back then through them. Trinity, where uh, Carlson went over to college, uh, has also said that he was a member of the class of 1992. However, I was looking into this, and according to some articles that I can find, uh, I believe it was from All Seasons Press, it looks like Tucker Carlson did not graduate. He didn't get enough credits to receive a diploma. And so after that, he tried to get into the Central Intelligence Agency, as I said, Tulsi Gabbard uh, show. He talked about that. His application was denied because his grades were not good enough. And the letter that he got for recommendation was from the headmaster's daughter, his future wife, his girlfriend's father. All right. That's where he got his letter from. And so his father said that they'll take anybody in journalism. Go do that. 
because, of course, he's going to join the controlled opposition, making sure that the information got out there that was important to control the masses in their own way. Now, Tucker Carlson, from the very get-go, had a ton of talent when it comes to the way he presented himself, and he still does to this day. As I said at the very top of the show, Tucker Carlson is somebody that I would love to go out and have a drink with, grab a meal, and pick his brain. I find him to be a enigmatic individual, uh, somebody that I could listen to speak about various different topics, seems to be knowledgeable on a ton of different things, and in many ways, I believe that he's like Michael Bednarik, who I interviewed back in uh, about 18 months ago. He's a polymath as well. Uh, we take in a ton of information as polymaths. We know a ton about a ton and a little about a little, if that makes any sense to people, what I'm saying. Um, in 1999, as Carlson got started into his career, right, he got into the Weekly Standard by 1995. He was working uh, up. People said that he was doing extremely good work. Um, he wanted to uh, continue to kind of impress people. He gets an interview with Governor George W. Bush for Talk Magazine. And he ends up quoting Bush, mocking uh, a person who was executed in the state of Texas. And in his article, he writes that George Bush's language, he's just throwing around the F word left and right. And this gave really bad publicity for George Bush during his 2000 presidential campaign. And so Carlson became a media darling amongst the liberals. Liberals absolutely loved him. They thought that his work was, as they called it, Bob Shrum, vivid. And they thought that, you know, everything was going to be uh, peachy and great. So they hire him at none other than, wait for it, CNN. So in 2000, he gets a short-lived show on The Spin Room. Uh, he then kind of makes it to pop culture, interviewing people after Iraq War. He goes over to Britney Spears in her, the famous interview where she goes, we should just trust the president no matter what he says. Um, and that started being seen everywhere. And eventually, he gets on to a show called Crossfire. Now, on Crossfire at CNN is where he eventually uh, kind of got completely declothed by John Stewart. John Stewart comes onto the show and basically says, why are you dividing this country? Why is it that your show offers nothing to try to fix things? All you do is create more problems with what you bring up here. And Tucker really had nothing other than why can't you just be funny? And it was a bad moment at that time for Tucker. And so he resigns from Crossfire and he goes on his way. Eventually, he goes over the PBS, which is kind of interesting considering the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, uh, which his father had been CEO of, is going to be ended up tied directly to PBS. And then he goes over to MSNBC, where he gets into the situation with Tucker Carlson. Um, they had different panels and everything, and people seem to forget that he was part of MSNBC. When he went to MSNBC, he kind of redefined his role as a libertarian. It wasn't so much on the left and treating everything equally or partisan on the right. He was like, I'm a libertarian, and that's, that's my views. Eventually, things sour at MSNBC. Um, he didn't like the fact that they were trying to tell him what to do, and so he kind of melted down there and would wind up uh, kind of 
going outside of journalism for several years, trying to figure out what he's doing before eventually landing over uh, with the Daily Caller and then with the Fox News Channel. Uh, so Fox News, I think, came first and Daily Caller after that. You all probably rose and know him from Tucker Carlson tonight, right? You, you know him as the voice on Fox that got millions upon millions of people listening to his show and got a lot of controversy during the time as well. But maybe you don't know about Fox defending itself against a lawsuit against Tucker Carlson. Now, this was not the lawsuit of Dominion uh, voting systems. Nope, this was a lawsuit about McDougal and Trump. And many people ignored what happened in this court case because they said, oh, this is just more fake news with Donald Trump. But pay attention to this part of the show. If you paid attention to nothing else, I'm telling you about how the Carlson family is part of the information regime, whether it's CIA or part of just the intelligence agencies. We're going to take this one step further. Tucker Carlson himself, his defense in court is no one should believe a word that I say, that they are all inflated claims, that he does not state actual facts. These are the arguments of his own lawyers, that he uses exaggeration and non-literary commentary. And so therefore, he could not have defamed McDougal in the case against Donald Trump. In fact, it got even worse. The judge ended up writing that Fox persuasively argued that given Mr. Carlson's reputation, that any reasonable viewer arrive with an appropriate amount of skepticism about the statements he makes on the show. Now, this is the same type of journalism that his father was using, gonzo journalism, right? It's the subjective truth, not the objective truth. I would like to know why people ignore that court case, ignore the words that even Tucker Carlson doesn't believe that you should take him serious, that he is a satire and a ton-in-cheek journalist giving an opinion in order to try to get you to have a reaction for ratings. Now, Tucker was let go from Fox after the Dominion lawsuit. I've often speculated whether or not there was something in that Dominion lawsuit that stated as part of the settlement, Tucker had to be let go because they felt that in some way, shape, or form, he was tied to the damage that was done against Dominion in some of the uh, statements that was made. Or I also wondered, was Tucker Carlson not truly let go from Fox, but the people surrounding Tucker knew that the best way to rebrand the show was to make it seem like he was going to be part of the alternative media, the alternative press. He was going to buck the system and not become part of the official narrative of the right or the left, but an independent voice once and for all. And so when he disappeared and then reappeared onto the X platform after Elon Musk purchased it, it seemed to me to all be just a little bit too textbook fairy tale that this guy loses his job and then all of a sudden he's got more engagement than ever on the social media platform than he could have ever wanted on the Fox News Network. And so as I see Tucker Carlson now rebranding once again to the Tucker Carlson Network, I'm thinking about where media is going. I'm thinking about my own voice in all of this. If you're subscribing to the Patreon page, you know that I'm trying to bring unfiltered shows with 
commentary that you're not going to hear elsewhere, right? If you think about this, if I put this on a right-leaning page where everybody loves Tucker Carlson, people might be upset with the assertions that I'm making today during the show. So it's important for me to be supported independently so I can go and travel and do stories where I don't have to worry about what's the leaning of the listeners. I can just report honestly as here's where things stand. Now, I don't have an intelligence background, all right? I did not grow up with a family that worked for the CIA or the FBI. I come from a family of a father who worked for DuPont, a mother who was a, a housemaker who sacrificed to get both my brother and myself through school. I went off to college to get my education. I went off to get a master's degree. I've been in education for some time, been in the uh, media creation field. Uh, and I have a love of learning and assessing, but one of my favorite things to do is interview people because I'd love to get to learn more about the knowledge that other people have that I don't. I'm not sure what Tucker Carlson's background is when it comes to why he ticks the way that he ticks. I do believe that Tucker wants the truth. I do believe that he's hungry for what that is, but I'm not so sure that the team around him is not telling him what the truth is or what the topics are in order to cover. See, Tucker Carlson is still a very slick multimedia conglomerate. Look, if you're getting 2.6 to 5.8 views every single time you put up a video with 11 million people following you, you are just as important as Fox News or MSNBC or CNN, except now you're one individual with all of that power. And with all of that power comes great responsibility. And sure, he looks like an outsider, much like Russell Brand looks like an outsider, much like Alex Jones oftentimes looks like an outsider. I don't think that any of these individuals are truly outsiders. See, the mainstream media knows, and Dick Carlson knows, that people have lost their trust in the mainstream narrative. They see that the trusted news initiative has been completely exposed. They cannot lose their power. So what better way to try to keep it but to convince you through propaganda and through all the proper talking points that the people that you are following have your best interest at heart? I don't believe it, and I'm not buying it. When Tucker Carlson gets up and starts talking about aliens and what he knows, I think that that's part of a larger controlled psyop that's going to be rolled out in a very carefully way. If you listen to my show, I've had conversations with individuals like John Warner about what alien disclosure could look like. And I think that it's very important that people know this information about Tucker, his father, his background, and how that could affect the reporting and the style of reporting that they're consuming. I'm not saying that Tucker is a bad person. I'm not saying that you shouldn't listen to Tucker. I'm not even saying that I won't watch Tucker because that is not the case whatsoever. I find that what he is offering just as valuable as the next person. What I am saying is I'm not going to put a crown on Tucker Carlson and call him the king of what is honest and moral and ethical media because that would be lying. We do need to find those ethical and moral voices. We do need to make sure that we're rising those up one at a time as we find them, because that is where truth is going to live. And even more importantly, you yourself need to start doing the research. 
You know, you have shows like myself that will do the research for you and tell you what I'm finding, but you've got to be willing to put in some of that as well. And so as our time comes to an end here for today's show, I hope that you've learned something. I hope that you enjoyed it. Not all these extra shows throughout the course of the weeks are going to be as long as this one. I just had a bunch of information I wanted to try to get into it. Uh, But I am going to try to do some long form interviews. I have some people lined up. If you liked uh, hearing from the QAnon shaman, Jacob uh, Angeli Chansley, I have a long form interview that will be coming up with him. That's close to three hours. That will only be for premium subscribers. So if you're not on the Patreon page again, patreon.com backslash America emboldened, that's going to be your best way in order to get that. I thank you as always for tuning in. You can always reach out to me, Greg at America emboldened or on my socials at real Greg Bolden, B O U L D E N. Be happy to speak with you and get your ideas. We're building a community here at bold Americans. And it's important that we try to get nice plans to put together, have empathy, compassion, morals, and ethics, and gather that together. You've been listening to America emboldened with Greg Bolden. Be bold, America.